toying is more than just performing. That I think a lot of artists forget that they just put out dates and they expect people to show up. So there's three must-haves. Music director being one, production manager being two, and three. So you'll have all drums, keys, bass, everything that you will see on stage, they scale down their production, but we put it in a box. In this episode, we're talking all about touring with Free, the CEO of Elevation Theory, a band who've been on tour around the world and played alongside some major artists internationally and all across America. We're going to dive into the misconceptions about going on tour, getting bookings internationally, what it takes to really build your fan base overseas, and so much more. This is a jam-packed episode. There are so many gems I picked up from listening to the Freeze experience over the years, and some real OG tactics that the new generation could learn from when playing all around the world. So sit tight and get comfy for this episode of the All About The Music Industry series. My brother, I'm so glad we're having a conversation to sit down and really unpack this. I have been friends with you for such a long time and you just always drop game and fill me in on the more advanced side of the music industry than anyone I ever know has ever lived, breathed, or experienced. You've been there in the trenches with Elevation Theory. Can we talk about some of the misconceptions about touring that artists have? I think people think it's all your hotels are taken care of, your flights are taken care of, there's fancy cars picking you up at the airport, there's elaborate snacks in the dressing room, but like, what's touring really like for an artist? Like, no cap, give me like the lowdown and the truth, please. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, man, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, to connect to you. Like, I love everything you're doing with the podcast. It's taking off. To be a part of it is absolutely just amazing. So I just got to give you a salute, give you a flowers. I'm just honored to be here. But to answer the question, what's touring really like? It, it is a two-part answer because it does depend on the type of artist you do land with, right? So I'm going to give you two scenarios. Generally, if you deal with emerging local talent that may be doing some re local touring, right? And I, when I hear the word tour, it's all subjective because you, you think when you hear the word tour, six months to a year, you're doing this massive dates come together. But a tour can be local as well, right? You can have a couple of dates in your local region, whether it be tri-state, full state. First and foremost, the question you got to ask yourself, okay, where do I have a buzz? I think it stems from a couple of things, but the first thing is understanding what are you coming into? If you're a local artist, generally there's not going to be a massive budget. So you always got to ask yourself the question, this is going to be very grassroots, very independent. Most of the time, the artist is going to be the booking agent or might be the manager. You may be calling the venue yourselves, working out the logistics, and normally you're doing a buy-in yourself. So you're coming in, hey, I have this date. Can you sell out? Usually you're doing smaller venues, anything between 150 below. You're not really jumping into the 300, uh, 500 you know, capacity. But depending on where you are in your artistry, you may have that buzz depending on where you are. Now, if you are a musician going to be complimenting an independent artist, there's a few questions you got to ask yourself. Like, okay, is backline going to be supported, right? Are we going to have travel accommodations? Like, what are those particulars going to look like? And generally, you may be on a Sprinter bus. You might be in a van. Sometimes you might just be on a train and you just get into each destination and there is some local friends or family that's picking you up. Hey, good to see you guys. It's all forms of just touring and having fun. It just depends on where you are in your artistry, right? But the number one aspect to take away from it is what are you looking to accomplish? Are you looking to genuinely build fans? Are you really looking to connect with a radio market? Are you really looking to connect just to build organic content, which now is a new thing with the new social media format that is just content. Some people go on a content tour. They don't even call it a regular music tour. It's a content tour. So you know in different markets where you have a certain influence or you have a certain connectivity to certain corporations or certain events that you want to be a part of, that is not so much as about you performing more than it is about you actually going to connect with a, a particular DJ at a radio station or you going to perform at an open mic at a different location. Um, so I think now the word tour gets a little um, subjective depending on the scenario. So again, I guess from both lens to be very targeted in my response, I would say 
Touring would ultimately depend on what you're looking to accomplish. I love that, bro. I definitely think we can like extract a lot of things from that answer. When you said the definition of a tour being a run of dates close by, whether you are traveling away from home base and returning the night after, or whether you're staying out on the road, moving city to city, I think it really depends on like how you define what the tour is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of artists, they have this assumption that a tour is going to make money, but sometimes you break even or you lose money between factoring in, you know, train, bus, uh, flight, hotel, food, like bringing any equipment that you need to bring, like extra haul cargo, whatever it may be. Do you find a lot of musicians lose money on that very first tour or they just about break even? Yeah, great question. Sometimes you go into a tour strictly for marketing, right? So you come in with the mindset, it's not about what we're looking to make on the road physically based on hard ticket sales. Because sometimes you may think about, you know, it's really about me connecting with the fans and positioning my marketing. But yes, it is an investment automatically. I, I just think there's no way you see it. I, I don't think any artist comes out of a tour negative. I think you can't never look at a tour experience as a negative dollar experience, mm -hmm. right? Because again, you're investing into your career. And if you want to meet people and connect to get a bigger audience or bigger platform, it's just you're, you're investing in some form of currency. So while, while it may not be dollars and cents, the social currency and the relationship currency is just as valuable with a fan because you may meet your sponsor on the road. You may meet someone like, hey, I'm actually getting ready to do an Afro Park. I'm looking for the, my next lineup. Would you mind joining? Or, hey, I, I'm over the festivals for Coachella. Yo, you're an amazing artist. Just someone that could be coming to a show or just are in the market of where you could be at. So I do think that it, it stems from the overall goal. Now, where people make the mistake is that is spending money that you don't have to compensate for a plan that you're not willing to commit to. And I and, and I could break that down when I say, if you go out here and I want to spend $50,000, right, for a, a probably 15, 20 days, realistically, $50,000 going out for maybe, what, a month? It sounds very, like, it sounds like a lot of money, but in hindsight, when you accumulate hotels, when you accumulate travel, drivers, and you're not even mentioning just the fact that you got to eat, like you be the ran through just, I think for me, just my normal day, I could spend almost like a thousand dollars just going out with my kids and my family for a day. So when you're going on tour, you have to be very intentional. You got to be very budget conscious and you got to really ask yourself the question, where are we trying to maintain and grow a lot of our actual capital um, in this investment, whatever we're trying to do. So again, it stems from knowing bottom line, what are you looking to come out of this tour experience with? If it's, about the money and it's all about touring you have to think more than just a performance I if it's me sitting down on the other end all right how do we maximize that without a time we touch down i'm thinking of a meet and greet that gotta go down how do we do a one-on-one -on -one? how do we connect a free vip where we do the sound check experience where i'm gonna bring in some of my closest fans to come in for intimate pre-release session that i'm in the venue keep it cost effective because you already paid for for the day and I think that's where a lot of artists tend to forget. If you book the venue for the day, you have it for the day. Maximize your earning potential and invite some of your most closest intimate fans in for a listening experience or a brunch experience. And sometimes those things translate. And you'll be surprised that people will pay for a pre-VIP experience just to connect with you, right? And those are things that we miss. So a pre-VIP, pre-sound check where you can be in, see the artist, be intimate, get the band. You're the first one running up to the to the guardrails or the, you know, and standing around waiting like, oh my God, I'll get to hear them perform and you're doing the internet recording. And not to mention, you know, once the show's over, you got the post um show VIPs, you got the actual VIP experience. So it's a lot of areas that you got to really come into when you rent these venues out. I've even seen artists do a whole photo shoot when they get there. They, they bring a photographer come in, they may cut their content in real time, do all those type of things. So again, when you are going into these different markets, you got to be very open that, hey, Let's maximize on the time that we have to actually captivate not only our consumer audience, but let's get a commerce audience, right? Like, what are we trying to get them this uh, uh, direct to consumer, you know, that, but we have it in a physical now. So those are things that I think I've learned now, this new model of the music business is being able to understand that touring 
had kids more than just performing. You have to maximize on your earning potential in these marketplaces and really give fans a real intimate um, story. Because it's beyond the music in most cases. And I think sometimes we are in a day and age now where we think after we stream, we're supposed to tour. No, you're supposed to connect with your audience. Like that's the real essence of, of all of it. Can we just take a second to process how much game you just dropped? <laughs> that actually blew my mind. The levels of VIP, pre-VIP, post-VIP and VIP experiences, even if people were being charged 50 bucks, that's a crazy cash cow. So thank you for that. I want to refer back to something you said a couple of times now, the difference between a buyout venue versus a promoter-led venue. So I think a lot of assumptions that people have is a promoter is going to tell you, I want to bring you to my city and I'm going to do all the legwork and you're going to get a fee to perform. That's my internalized definition of that. But is it a lot more calculated that you decide the cities you're going to? You pay the venue dry, higher cost. You take the, all the money on the door and then you put your merch booth in and you sell merch. And then how does that work? I really want to unpack all that, please. Great. It's a few things because, yes, while buyouts can very much be an option, it's a very lucrative one, but it's a very expensive one, right? And most artists don't necessarily have the hard capital to invest early on in doing it, right? But most of the time, they do because it's no ding it. It's no different from venue's job is to book out the venue. So, of course, they're more open to doing deals. Most of the time, it'll be a 60-40, depending on the artist, depending on the draws. Um, there's really a rare circumstance where a venue will 100% let you buy and you take everything, bar sales, food sales. It's just... They they, it, it's, it, they have the upside because they have the venue, right? So for them, of course, they're going to keep a little bit of skin in the game. Now, you may work with a promoter in the local city, but you'll do it for two reasons. First things first, you want to connect with the people that has a bigger draw in the promote, for a promoter in the market that you're not really connected to, right? That's why locally, because we're not talking nationally, because nationally is handled completely different. But if you're local, and you are able to be tapped in with a promoter, of course, whatever percentage that they know, they can tell you up front, hey, I can bring 100 people on my book, you know, independently. And again, that's for you to consider like, well, it's people that's coming to your show, one. Two, the marketing, you're not necessarily responsible to carry that load on the marketing aspect of it. And again, it's like they're promoting your show. So it's kind of like for you, it's a, it's a win-win. So most of the time, you can structure the deal. I mean, generally, 60-40 is a, a rule of thumb. Um, I mean, sometimes if you got a real shark, you know, uh, you know, 80-20 be a little scary. But it depends on if you're coming out and really just not at the game and you just really just try to get in somewhere. But then again, you got most venues that will take a chance and that will absolutely um, be flexible depending on the night, right? And they ask for a certain bar guarantee, right? So they're like, hey, you need to at least have a minimum of $1,000. If not, you got to be responsible for the difference. It's a few of those different situations, depending on that the venue does do a little bit of risk management. They want to protect themselves. And it's insurance liability, because God forbid, that's why, depending on the type of music, hey, is it hip hop? And they have the due diligence or the right to des decide whether or not they want you in the venue. And that's a lot of it as well. So sometimes it's not guaranteed just because you hit a venue up to there supposed to give you a date because you got money. Nah, sometimes they really want to know what's your track worker. You know, it's the, same, it's the same thing like I tell people, it's your musician credit report. It's like, they're going to want to know who or who have you been affiliated with? How long have you been doing it? What is your history? You know, what are people saying about you? You know, are you having any musician delinquencies? Are you, are you, are you current? Or are you past doing the marketplace? Like me, like, hey, you might want to watch out. He, he's been fined over here. He goes over curfew. You know, we're not all like Drake, but we can pay. I, I want to say it was like, what? He's like almost like a hundred something, like a minute. It was crazy, like a crazy number. But saying that to say, like, you just don't want to be in a position with a venue where you're having to prove yourself. You want to come in with a, a humble um, relationship on both sides to know like, hey, I'm looking to build in something. I want to come back. I want to do more. And sometimes they're more prompt to deal with you. So, Again, me, the business guy I am, I don't want to go in a marketplace where I'm not talking to the hottest promoter because I want I want all the fans there. 
I want the hottest agents. I want the hottest managers. I want whoever the dopest radio, you know, DJ. Again, because you just want you want to be received in the marketplace, right? Because you got some promoters in some markets that automatically have a very successful um, base that when they yeah. put out a show, that hey, a lot of people's gonna show up. So sometimes you just naturally want that inheritance to earn um, them as a consumer, right? So our fan, rather say, but yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I love this analogy of like, let's say it's a 150 cap venue. If the promoters regularly bring in 100, right? You have a decision to make. You're like, right, my fans can be the minority of my show and we have fewer than the promoters regular crowd. But if it's going to be the best show of my life, I want to do more than the promoters crowd so that my fans are really feeling the music. The vibe is going to be better. And that way he, she, or they are going to be more impressed and they're going to be more likely to book me again in the future. So I should promote hard on my side, not just one post and a story, but actually hit the DMs, actually use the mailing list, actually target my fans with messaging to make them come out and then hit them two or three times so they remember, book their tickets and show up. How much do you think that plays a part into the strategy of an artist pushing hard, getting the most out of their touring opportunities? Crazy thing is, um, up now because they're about to jump in this bag. So really, what it is is the call to action, right? Mm. That's the most important part that I think a lot of artists forget that they just put out dates and they expect people to show up. Yes, doesn't work like that. You gotta promote. You gotta get out in the market. That's why I told you, inheritance in the marketplace with certain promoters, influencers, venues beyond the one that you're playing at. It's you gotta work the you gotta work it. And most of the times, like if you're not from a city that you don't know, sometimes it's just okay to ask the people that you're going to, like, hey, a fan. You may have a super fan that you know that wait, yo, where's some of the places I could go to get some real great promotion when we touch down? Right? Like get in a day early. And that's another part. I think we forget that the old school way of marketing, like when they say like the word of mouth is still one of the most powerful forms of uh, you know, branding or marketing, anything. We forget that most of the time. That we just think that we put out a social media post and we just show up and people are going to just like be at your venues. But sometimes it's okay to realize like, hey, you got to really just get in front of people. Let them know. Like, and again, they don't know you. You don't know them. Your job is to make them come into an understanding of why should I show up at your show? Those are the type of people that I'm asking myself the question. Well, my call to action is going to be with you. For the first 15 people that we touch physically on the ground, they we're going to give them a ticket. Like immediately. Because sometimes it's not about the dollar in that particular point of time of the artist exchange. Sometimes it's about, I need to earn your business, right? And we just think because we are artists, we're on tour, they're supposed to just show up. No, these people work hard in their everyday lives. They have families. They have just their own lines of business that they do. You coming to the show, it has to be something absolutely captivating enough about the experience that they're going to take away from like, hey, I'm excited to be a part of this, right? So Again, I'm a, I have a very old school way of thinking when it comes down to just the overall marketing rollout strategy that you just can't expect people just to show up. And I think that's why you kind of have to reverse engineer the process that we got to start backwards, really getting in front of our fans, really having contagious conversations and really making them understand like, hey, my call to action is going to be with this experience. Hey, I need to invite people to my show. It may not necessarily be about the dollar, but let, like as an example, if I give them a free ticket, but they buy a $15 hoodie, it equals out anyway. Definitely. Because, and, and those are just the opportunities. Again, when you're thinking of the call to action, look at it beyond the scope of just a hard ticket sale. Like, how do I earn your business? Because I know me. Once I feel like I got you in a room, that's all I need was to seize and captivate that moment. So I think those are things that we got to understand in this new, this new music business. I love what you're saying that it's so much more than just posting up your dates. Something I used to do when I was a young DJ, I would say to 10 of my closest friends, if you bring five friends with you, I'm gonna cover your ticket entry. So that's 50 people, potential 45 people potentially coming in and you're giving away a small number of free entries. And you have a guest list. That's kind of precisely what it's for. It costs you nothing to be strategic. And what I remember doing at that time in my life is saying I had five drinks tokens. I'm Muslim. I don't drink. So I bought a drink for the person who bought 
you brought more people. You brought 10 with you. Let me buy you a drink. They're like, I've come to see you play. Why are you buying me a drink? And this just creates your super fans. Because they're super fans. And remember, every time you come to town, they show up for you, even if they haven't communicated in advance. And I love this concept that you're digging deep. And you're, what I, I'm extracting this from you and what I'm hearing you say is, your intention of touring is building, not earning. So my different question on this is, how many times do artists reduce the production value of the tour? So if they visualize a band, if they visualize like a bass guitarist, a drummer, they visualize a back, backing vocalist, but they can't afford it. And they have to perform in just a PA version of their song and a DJ. They're reducing the scope of what they wanted to. Talk to us about that. Have you experienced that? What's your advice around that sort of particular? Oh, that's amazing. It's funny because I've recently had, I was a part of um, some recent productions, right? And it's two ways, three. It's three ways you can go about it, right? Visually, yes. Aesthetically, there's something about seeing a band on stage that's just like, I'm biased because I'm a musician. So it's like, I, I have to, see the crowd, feel the crowd, like, and it just brings out a certain live element in the room that is just when you're seeing a band and you're hearing it live, that it just resonates differently in the actual show experience. However, this new AI, this new digital technology has just changed the game. It's become now more visually stimulating like you're watching cinemas like trailers like movie ideas it's like it's full-blown musical theatrical performances that's going on as you're watching it right like you got some of the most top productions from the weekend you got drake you got beyonce that take you into this world when you walk in there and it's like the hugest props the biggest led screens and it's just like and when you see the light shows it's all programmed and you're taking it in like and I only got like $5,000 budget to do what I do, right? <laughs> so it's like the question you had to yourself, like, how do I aspire to get here? But I will take you, I'm going to take you on two different roads, right? So the first road is, is that where I've noticed a lot of artists, they do, they scale down their production, but we put it in a box. And when I say the box, it either may be in a, a, a Logic or Ableton Live, like a different software system that will pre-program it. So you'll have all drums, keys, bass, everything that you would see on stage is just put in the actual show, which we call is really the box, right? That's the musical term. But they put it in the production element of it. So then that way, you don't lose the essence of the sound. You still hear live drums. You still hear live bass. You hear everything, but you just don't see it. And most of the time, you think to yourself that if you go to a show, I know some of like the mainstream, like, you know, shout out to my guys right now. You know, like Lil Baby's an example. Like, you can't see them when you walk on stage. Like, you, you, you'll hear them but you don't necessarily see them, right? Because in the way the production is, they staged it in a way to where they made it aesthetically, We it's, it's clutter. It takes up too much of the stage. We want a clean stage, clean look, visually to be compelling to the ears, to the eyes. And Justin Bieber does it. Drake does it. Like a lot, of, even Beyonce, some of her productions, you can see it in the, some of her, her recent one. But say that to say, these are just the things that when you're dealing with bigger scale productions, they have the budget to support it. But again, it goes back down to the creative director and what they're really seeing. And that's where you got to be kind of open. But if you're on the local budget, you can still program those things and you can still have it in the show. I know artists that can come with a two piece, a keyboard player, a laptop and the artist and they press space bar. And it sounds like the entire band is on stage. And you're looking around like, I hear horns. I hear drums, like acoustic drums. Like, I feel the record. Like, it sounds like the record. But it's just a keyboard player. And it's just the artist. So that is hugely a cost-effective way for most artists. Because, again, they can't afford to have four to five people to come out. Versus you and a keyboard player. And he has his laptop, which everything is programmed in. That's where technology now have advanced us so much that you don't have to really take a full band or have a full production team to go out with you. Take you, and sometimes your keyboard player is savvy enough, and I'm just using the keyboard player, but that's generally the ones who are the programmers, all will be called as an um, uh, engineer, or will be called, you know, 
I'm trying to, I'm trying not to be super duper technical, but a playback engineer is someone who actually runs the show mm. and they're just pressing space bar, making sure that the show is running flawless, the edits are clean, that anything need to be added, taken away. It's usually those people that's, hey, it's already set, everything's already been arranged, go out, do your thing. But then again, you know, that's, that's kind of the local artists, the emerging artists, but nationally, you know, the gloves come off. They're looking to ultimately stimulate the best visual show, best sounding show, and the best like consumption. Like what do, what do we want people to take away from it? So again, it does stem from two different areas that you can cut costs and do everything pre-recorded and you can still actually do the actual real show and it feels the same on a live show or you can still make the actual band a part of the experience, and which I'm always going to be a fan of that because I just think the essence of having a band, a live band in the room or in the arena or on the stage is something that resonates with it visually that it's just the moment, the artist feels the momentum. They get to get into it. They get to look at backstage. They're seeing the dancers. They're seeing the background vocals. They're hearing the band live. And it's just, it's a certain energy that you exude on stage that is unmatched. Like it's a, it's the cortisol shot that just puts you in a, a, a daze of just, it's, it's the best, it's the best musical high you'll be on. Right. So I do think a lot of true musical artists, they understand that, but a lot of new artists, you'll just see it with a DJ and you're just yeah. like, why not just have the band? Like why? But again, it just depends on the crowd. Sometimes they're used to the club, especially hip hop artists. Most hip hop artists genuinely love having a DJ because they like the, Hey everybody, what up? What up? Good at mm-hmm. They like the whole sparring, you know, musical aspect is what I say. So yeah, it, it it depends basically where you are in your artistry and musically, and if you're open to creativity. And that's another part that most artists are fearful of. Hey, will my music sound the same? The band really just enhances their, your musical experience. Right. So I wish every artist would, at some point in their careers, really allow a creative director, a music director to come in to really show you the possibilities of having a live production because all it's going to do is enhance your musical experience. So, yeah, so it's a two-part question, but hopefully you can, depending on where you are, you better make that distinction. Even more gems. I, I, I'm blown away when you start talking about the box because I think artists are either lazy, lack creativity, or they're not enough of an OG to know how it was and they're thinking of how it is. And so when local producers made a song in software, they're not thinking how this will sound with instrumentation, how this will sound live. A lot of artists don't even practice their stage presence until they get up on stage and nerves hit you and everything else. And one artist recently, her name is Sophia Galate. She's a R&B sort of jazz singer. She actually flew into London a week early. She found a local band. She put them together, rehearsed for, I think, seven days straight, and then rocked the show. And it was an intimate 60 person capacity, but I loved the hustle that she went through just for that. Have you ever, can you talk to maybe like recruiting a band in different states and different cities, different countries, so that when you play there on the regular, you're back in the flow with similar people that you know and vibe with? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's a great point, by the way. And I think a lot of artists underestimate the power of doing that. I think a lot of the times you can do. Well, here's where it gets tricky. Let me be let me be musically honest. While that you have to really trust the music director ability to put together quality professional, right? Now, most of the time, if you are, and I'm just gonna run off a scenario, if you're going to a market and let's just say a venue tells you that you're gonna be a part of this showcase experience, hey, we have a local house band that we and you could come and be a part of a house band. Me as a music director, supervisor, manager, I look at it from a few things. First question I'm asking, okay, who is the band? Now I'm musically creative enough that I can look, I can tell, I can weave out the core and tell myself, okay, is these guys gonna be strong enough? But if you're a new artist and you have no idea and in your mind you're just thinking like, oh, well, there's a band, I'm okay, that is the biggest misconception and it will absolutely slaughter your show coming in that mindset with just trusting some people that you have never ever connected with perform with and i'm gonna break it down in three ways right because one you don't know their etiquette you don't know how 
how they sound, how they gel with you. Like you, it's just certain characteristics of individuals when you're just strangely just hiring a bunch of people without having a real background check, right? The other part of it is too, is that do I trust them to perform my music to the caliber and expectations that I would, right? And most of these musicians are work for hires. They don't care. They're thinking to themselves like, hey, we're here, I'm getting a check, I'm going home, performing with this artist, or better yet, this is a showcase, I'm playing for six other artists. I'm not gonna give the same time and attention and dedication to this artist as I gotta give the other four, right? So that's the other part. The professionalism and etiquette is one element of it. Two, understanding like, you know, the background due diligence piece, like who are they, what do they do, who are they perform with? But then the last and most critical piece of all is understanding can they perform? Practicing is one thing, performing is another. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, I say that from a sense when I say performing, can they make an audible if something goes wrong? Are they equipped the way they can troubleshoot? If you get there that you're, and I'm just talking as a drummer because I'm a drummer, if the click stops working in the box that you got a sound engineer that's going to run up behind you and that's going to keep you on tempo. Like, you got to be intuitive to know that if something goes wrong, professionals are real good about being able to do stuff on the fly. Like, we're professionals at adjustment. We make on the, we make in-game audibles, right? The amateurs, the locals, if they've never experienced it in their mind, oh, the click's not working, they're going to stop the song. I was going to look back like, what are you doing? Like, it throws off everything. So I'll say that to say, those are just three areas that you got to be very cautious of. Now, where your example was great is that you were able to practice and those are just requirements so i would just if i could name off three must do's one rehearsal is non-negotiable we have to rehearse now there is a circumstance where your musical director may go may come in early with a group of guys and they rehearse with the band rehearse with the production team speak with the people um that's a part of the experience in terms of like the overall show value just so you could just know what you're coming into and I think that's important because sometimes you get to a venue and they not have a stage. And I know that sounds crazy, but I've been in venues where it's just kind of like, where are we performing at? Like, it's not a raised platform. On the floor. <laughs> that's on the floor. floor. Right, wait, where's the mixer? Like, wait, y'all don't have a soundboard? Like, and then especially when you have technology that they have, that, that I have is current, but they have things that are dated, you know, because I don't go anywhere without a production engineer. So I have my production engineer calling almost 30 days in advance. I need them to send over a text sheet so I can get a better understanding of what specs they do have, what they don't have. I need to know before we walk into it. I'm more, I, I think I put more of a, a focus on the prep than I do the performance. Mm -hmm. And that's where for me, like you said, the rehearsal is non-negotiable. The preparation of understanding like, yo, what video are we going to? What do they have? What don't they have? What do we got to bring? And Every professional musician always bring more than what they need. It's just, that's just our professionals do. Mm -hmm. But if you're new to it for the first time, you're going to bring exactly what you have. You're not thinking like, if something goes wrong, I won't need this. No, musician professionals always know something can, could, would go wrong. And the process of elimination is to never put yourself in that position, right? So yes, I do think preparation is absolutely key. I do think understanding going into a venue and knowing what you're setting yourself up for is absolutely one of the most critical, most vital, vital things that you can do. And um, the last piece I'll probably say is sometimes you get an artist that is very musically capable of being in the fire in real time and making adjustments and, hey, you guys can stop here. It's just going to be me and Keys. Or, hey, don't do that here. Like, they're very commanding and they can really, really captivate. They don't care who they're playing with. They just have an ability to just really take in a group of individuals and really buy them into their experience. But it's those are a rarity. It's like the one percenters of the musician world that can actually do that. But the real pros don't go without their music directors. They don't go without their creative directors or their production managers. It's just, it's a rarity in these days. Because again, you live in an era now, social media, that people will pull you on the internet as fast as you can and they would just and nothing's worse than a bad experience, let alone a bad show experience. So you just want to avoid those things if you can. So 
yeah, I will honestly say just go into every situation over-prepared. Never, ever think that you have everything together. Plan for what could happen versus what you allow to happen, right? So does that? that's just a perspective I would definitely encourage any creative um, on any show element is to be over-prepared and be under-prepared. And I'm speechless, bro, because I'm AMC a new side to you. But B, I completely and utterly agree. Like, assumption and entitlements is the cause of all screw-ups. So if you send your sheet music over and assume the band is going to read it, have practiced it, be on time with you, like you said, no chance. If you assume that you don't need a rehearsal, you just rock up and it'll be fine and haven't prepped, again, it'll go completely to shit. And... You've mentioned this phrase, musical director, a few times. I obviously know what it is, but can you expand upon it? And for 90% of small artists who don't have a musical director, they're going to take on their own tech responsibilities. They're going to take on their own administration negotiations with the venues to figure out the tech. How do you do that at scale when you've got maybe three to five dates and you have to speak to three to five different venues and get all of that information from them all? Can you kind of navigate me through that sort of multiplication and compounding of the experience? Absolutely. So there's three must-haves. A music director being one, a production manager being two, and three, I would just say you just need, I want to use the term creative director, but when I say creative director in a context of how I'm going to break it down, you really just need someone to be very great at logistics and planning, which you could really say a tour manager or you can just say a um, an assistant, right? Or what we call is a, um, a on a on the road manager in a sense, right? The reason why a music director is important, he's the quarterback. He's the one that's going to delegate responsibility, not only musically, but the overall production performance value. He's going to be the one making sure that the the show is absolutely flawless and meets the artist's expectation beyond their expectation. You are the quarterback. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, and I'm using that analogy. If you're in the basketball, it's the point guard. Like, it's usually the general. They are the one that are taking responsibility if the show goes well, if the show goes bad. Like, they're the ones that's going to make sure the whole guy's accountable to make sure that the musical integrity is still being represented in all aspects of the show experience. When you get down to a production manager, they oversee the stage. They oversee, like, if you see people taking mics off the stage or if you're making sure that if the drummer sticks breaks, he's handing them sticks. Or beyond that, you may have him running the monitor guy. So he may be the one with a talk back telling the music director one thing. He may be telling the artist another thing, like, hey, we got to make an audible on this. And it sounds crazy when you talk about this, but there are a lot of elements that goes on behind the show when the show starts that people wouldn't actually know. But a production manager handles, whether it's a front house engineer, whether it's a stage engineer, they're usually the ones that are in the booths, right? And on the football field, like, you know, you don't have the people up on this looking at the place, like the office of, I don't want to use the office of these defensive coordinators, but they're usually the ones that's overseeing the production value from sound, from lighting, like they're just making sure that the artist is as comfortable as they are to making sure down to batteries in their mic to make sure that the guitar techs got their guitar tunes. Like, and again, they're broken up in specific titles, but if I had to break it down into like an independent, you want those three people always at a show with you, like in some friends. form. Your best friends, even if it's them. I agree. Absolutely. And I think um, between those three, a music director, production manager, and we get to the creative director slash, you know, tour or assistant. And the tour manager, right, is essentially the one that makes sure all day-to-day -day logistics, the one that's going to print out the agenda for the day, the one that's going to give you the, hey, here's your room keys. Hey, here's where you guys need to be up for sound check. Hey, catering's at 2 o'clock. Hey, the bus leaves at, you know, 2 a.m. today. They're the ones handing out the per diem. They're the one making sure that any operational questions or logistic questions, they're usually the first line of communication to the venues. They're like the the who knows what on the tour. They usually always have 99.9% .9 of the answers. They know where 
the merch is going to be it. They know where your green room is going to be at. They're going to know like, all, hey, if you want to get your guest list in, you're usually telling them, hey, I got a couple friends and family's going to be in town. You're usually talking to them. So they're more of your um, operation your logistics when you're thinking of a tour manager or just uh, your actual day manager, right? And um, those are the three, your big three. Those are the ones that you absolutely need. Now, of course, there are other forms. You got runners who are those that if you need something, you go to the store or you need to get more batteries. Or I need to get a white tee because mine I had last night tour. And you got fashion, you know, you got image consultants that are on stage. You, like, again, it breaks down so many levels. But if it was me and I could like, like, you know, the old saying, like American Express, don't leave home without it. This is the this is your tour. Don't leave home without it. Without your music director, without your production manager, without a tour manager, those are the three pillars of a successful performance. Is that we have all three of them operating at the highest capacity of what they do. These are generally the people that's going to keep everything glued. They're going to keep the musical synergy. They're going to keep the operational um, intelligence intact to make sure that you have the best show experience, not only from pre but to post and during. So yeah, I would definitely say that those are just my your must your must haves for sure. I totally agree. And I want to just re-emphasize these are fancy titles. These are professional jobs and roles in the industry. But at the grassroots of it, this can just be three close friends who take care of those three major responsibilities. They can be relatives. They can be in your circle. They can be other musicians. But you've got to build that trust and rapport. Like I used to manage a DJ years and years ago. And I was the third one, that road manager printing the agenda, having the um, room keys, getting every question answered, that's how I would fill in. And so if you don't have a manager, I think it would be nearly impossible for an artist to be present in the moment to perform their best while their brain is worrying about everything else. I think, like you said about preparation, you can't be in the game if you're worried about everything else. You have to be at one with the music and trust someone else to handle the tech and handle the event logistics and handle everything else. I think artists who rock up by their ones one minute before stage time, right? They're thinking, again, assumptions. They're thinking, I can just do this, it'll be fine. And what mostly happens is the artists leave stage with a bitter taste in their mouth going, I wish I did more. I wish I prepared more. I wish I'm visually like forecasted and predicted. How will I feel in that moment? Will my heart be pounding? Will the adrenaline be there? Will I be sweaty? Will I be with cotton mouth? Will I be my dry mouth? Like how will I do it all? Will I talk too fast? Will I talk too slow? I think you can never truly be over-prepared because if you've visualized every outcome, you'll be perfectly prepared. And so, can I just maybe just round up this interview by kind of just talking like, how does it feel when you're an experienced artist and the buzz wears off? So when you fly to a city, the excitement to go touristing isn't there. You're tired, maybe flown from an airport that's not convenient to where you live. So you've gone on a mission to get to this faraway airport. You've gone, you've landed, you've got a little bit of time to sleep, then a sound check, then you're on stage. And you a little bit of time to sleep and catch a flight home. Does the excitement of touring ever wear off? Or is it always something that gives you energy and gives you life? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, just from personal experience, I do think, I think it does. I think because you get to a point to where you feel like you you serve your your fan base. And, you, and, and I say it all the time. You don't want to overconsumption let me let me qualify there are amazing artists that tour until they you know they transition right but i do think you can over it, 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 let me qualify can you can you tour too much i don't think you can tour too much but i do think you got to elevate the level of how you tour as well so that's all i want to qualify i don't think there's nothing ever wrong with you getting in front of an audience i just think there's never a time that that is not ever going to serve or be in your favor 
But if you're doing the same years in a row, the same songs, the same records, and it's just not hitting, at a certain level, you ask the question, what are we really still doing here, right? You have some musical artists, they just got so many amazing songs. Like when you think of a legend, like a Stevie, like an Anita Baker, like just classical soul, like artists that live and still reside, I just think there are certain timeless artists and I think that they can tour at any time in life and just because of their musical catalog and their repertoire, that those songs emotionally resonate with you, that it's just like, it's like you'll never forget it because at a certain time, it's gonna, you're gonna close your eyes, you're gonna take that moment in and remember where you were. Whether you was in a club when you were at your teens, or whether you was in middle school when you guys used to come up with that crunk dance or you was doing your, when Dr. Dre used to come out with the crit walk, we used to watch Snoop. Like they're just certain timeless artists that it, they their music will always bring you back to a place that you'll never, ever, ever forget it, right? But I do think that with that, you have to evolve. I think it has to become more than just touring. I think you have to have the area of growth and strategy and execution in the marketplace that people need to see you beyond touring. They want to know that you have eclipsed yourself probably in business, probably in the form of TV film opportunities. I think people just want to see you be more than just being a musical artist. Like I'm just going to give like a context of reference, like, you know, like a 50 cent, like, you know, him to emerge as an amazing producer and have an amazing, um, TV series that's dominant, controlling the airways, but yet they can still get out here and do 15, 20,000 like it's nothing, right? Because people still resonate those moments of like, hey, he still is an amazing hip hop artist, right? Mm -hmm. And you can still turn on his TV shows and you still watch it and it still be something that you look forward to. And a lot of those artists have that, right? You know, Rihanna is another example. She can have back-to-back -back children and still walk away from Fendi and still ultimately still be who she is. But now she can step into like, you know what? Maybe I just want to take time off and be a mother because the music is still who she is. Right. But you have so many different areas of opportunity and someone like, a, you know, Jay-Z that they, they, they translate themselves into business, right? They become a business. And those are just things that touring allows you to always have a place when you've done it the right way. Mm -hmm. When you when you put in enough time and, and enough inheritance and equity in certain marketplaces that you can just do it. So to be very direct, I do think that you have to grow overall as an artist beyond the touring. But if you were doing strictly touring, because there are certain artists that can just tour. And I'll be honest with you, you got jazz artists, right? That for them, musically, they're going to continue to tour because that is where they live. They're going to be on the road for the next 20 to 30 years because musically it allows them to do festivals. It allows them to do cruise lines. Like it just allows them, it, it affords them the opportunity to stay actively on the road because they're instrumentalists. So it's, it, it depends on where you are when you use the word mm -hmm. touring, why it makes sense. So instrumentalists can tour until they're blown in the face. Artists can still have the same levels of touring, but again, I think it just breaks down to like, hey, are you growing in other forms of your business beyond the touring? Then again, you know, the saying that we say, you want to work smarter, not harder, and you want to put yourself in, in all facets to receive all aspects of revenue opportunities beyond the touring, that if you always constantly got to be on the road six months out of a year, how much could you really invest into these other areas that you can really grow in? So- I do think, yes. Can you over tour? In my opinion, depending on the artist, depending on the instrumentalist, depending on the talent. But I do think, again, it's all a matter of ultimately getting in front of fans. I think that's the fundamental essence of all of it. Like, hey, I don't want to never not be in front of my fans because the eye to sight out of mind is very much a real thing. Uh -huh. So I do think you cannot. Um, lose fans by not touring, but you can, like I said, become, you know, musically obese to where you're just force feeding a lot and people just have a hard time consuming a lot when it's the same thing. And I just think sometimes you just got to switch things up, give people a little bit of something that they haven't experienced before. And people always come back, you know, come back to the buffet line. No doubt. I think there's the ultimate aim for every artist is to make timeless music that sounds fresh forever. I recognize that when I saw Brian McKnight at the Jazz Cafe years ago, 
he had such a stripped back performance. He had a band, but then halfway through the show, he just stepped out, sat in front of two different keyboards and a guitar and asked the audience, name me any of my songs. And he played that song. He just did a chorus and half a verse, whatever he could remember. But the magic of seeing him remember the notes to play, remember the lyrics, the whole 300 cap venue with a restaurant on the top tier was captivated, right? And I think that's the goal that an artist would want to have, that when they're in their 50s, they have a family, they have completed their dreams to its maximum, but still want to connect with the people. I think that is the true power of touring. It's building your legacy and not thinking of it as like we've said throughout this whole conversation is it's not just a revenue stream, but it can be. Absolutely. My bro, thank you so much. I think that is the perfect place to leave it. I've loved this as my brother, as my friend, as someone who's dropped game since we first met. This has been wicked to get you in season one of the pod. Listen, it's an absolute pleasure, man. I'll be remiss to not say it was beyond overdue. Um, and it's always an honor of everything you're doing, not only in the community, but everything you're doing socially. And just that, and I call it the musician economics, right? That's what you're giving people. It's the fundamentals of understanding, like, while people don't understand it now, they're going to look back 10 years from now and be like, oh my God, I have the blueprint right here. And I think a lot of younger artists are in this um, 88, 88 phase of like, yo, I got to, I got to just do, 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 and not realize, yo, there's a formula to this. Mm-hmm. It's been proven, and then you got to get into it. So all the hard work you've been doing uh, makes it easy. And I just think the buy-in is going to come a time where you're going to look back and just be like, yo, wow, I really did that. And the amazing part about it is, man, like you say, it's, it's here for the world. And it's not just for us to consume just in one form at one time. Like you have given a catalog, a master series on all Ella, on all elevated experiences in every form of facet of the music business. And and this is a shout out to you for being a, a trailblazer in this community. I'm just glad to not only call you my friend, you're a brother, and um, I'm just excited for everything you're doing. And I'm just, you know, humbled uh, to be on here today, man. So I just look forward to watching you just, you know, spread your rings and keep flying, man. But just, you know, just just keep me a little space right on the left side. You know, <laughs> that's my favorite side. So, yeah. Your blessings, bro. Honestly, it means the absolute world and more to me. I cannot wait to see what we do. Like, both of us have got life-changing goals for this year ahead and into next year. And may the almighty just keep us, keep us going, man. That's the main thing. Received. Received, my brother.